Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Now, you're listening to the Red Sea Podcast. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood. Sale winds, he fires. Swing and a miss, right play, it's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. Today, joining me for episode 296 of the show is Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood of Over the Monster. Gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of this podcast. Has uh, anything happened since the last time we talked or, you know, just everything oh, good? And pretty low key. I know that we haven't, haven't talked at all in the last week about anything that's happened. I can think of one thing. What's your one thing? Pitchers lost. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's uh, that's now two things because uh, they've done that twice. But, um... Your boy yeah. Belichick. True. My boy. I loved my how boy he threw BB. that challenge flag. That was hilarious in Petty. <laughs> I, I, uh, I liked how Petty that was. I knew it was um, coming, too. He was he was kind of milking it. He knew he had yeah. time and then just fired it down at the guy. A friend of mine in the group chat said it perfectly, that he was looking at the ref, and that whole thing was the same way that uh, cats will like knock stuff off counters, but make sure you're watching first. <laughs> That's exactly how we threw it. 
that 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 tracks because I uh, yeah yeah never mind. Um, all right, let's get to this show. Uh, if you want to email us questions, you can find us at redseatpodcast at gmail We got a bunch of questions today, but this is the Heim Bloom has been fired episode of the show. And if you've been listening to this show for the Heim Bloom tenure, um, you know you know the level of excitement that uh, that we're feeling right now. It feels pretty damn good. But uh, not only was Heimblum fired, he was fired alongside uh, general manager Brian O'Halloran. Um, Brian O'Halloran was offered another position with the club in the front office. He has yet to accept. Um, Bloom has been the chief baseball officer for the Red Sox since the tail end of 2019 when they fired Dombrowski. And BOH has been with the organization since 2002. Still may remain with the organization, albeit in a different role. But gentlemen, I'm looking for your one-word reaction to the Heimblum being fired thing. Let's start with you, Keaton. Placid. Wow. Lake. Oh. Yeah, like elaborate on that. You're feeling like like water. Uh, peacefully free of interruption or disturbance. I love it. That's a big vocab word. Yep. Okay. Uh, Bob, how are you feeling about this? So I took this as one word to describe. I am Bloom in his tenure here, which clearly is not the question you asked, but I'm still going to answer it that way. <laughs> good, good job. And you were so worried someone was going to steal your word. And I shouldn't have been because I didn't understand the question. <laughs> My word was indecisive. Well, that's, that's an excellent descriptor. So, uh, which is not to describe how I'm feeling. Yeah, but how are you feeling? Yeah. Relief relief yeah Yeah. um because i didn't have enough time to think of a better word and use a thesaurus to go with that um keaton crushed us with placid so you know what are we gonna do here no you say you're Um, you're unvexed yeah i just i think that um it was going to be long few weeks here to finish off the season i think it was going to be Difficult to continue to talk in the same uh, vein as we have for the last few months and kind of in the same mentality of here is what we think should happen in the offseason and here is what we think will actually happen in the offseason because we didn't align or agree with so many things that had happened. And I feel relief that there will be, um, you know, just kind of a rejuvenation to talk about a lot of the topics that we have and um hopefully see a different mindset and approach going forward which we'll get into yeah i agree with that um the word that came to my mind was hope um for the first time in a while i just have a a lot of hope for this team um it just felt like with the bloom tenure the biggest thing was that you know, once we got to understand what his actions were um, and how he operated, really after the 2021 offseason to me, everything just felt predictable. You know, it just felt like we kind of knew what he was capable of and what he wasn't capable of and how far he'd go. And it, and it just became such a grind. So for me, you know, I, I feel just like both of you, like calm about it, but I also feel that sense of relief that there's no longer that sort of crushing weight of uh, 
of despair about the state of the team. Um, but yeah, man, I can I can look at this club and feel like, hey, there's the big market Boston Red Sox again, and like anything can happen. Like KG says, anything's possible. <laughs> well, um, let's get to some of the, the reasons for his firing. So I think I'm going to start with you on this one, Bob, because I think you probably uh, led into it a little bit. But, you know, the word that you used to describe Bloom was indecisive. So do you think that that ultimately was the biggest reason why he was fired from this position? I think it had a big, a large part to do with it. His just fear to do anything was what I think of. You know, whether that is a trade, like the first thing, major move that he made in trading Mookie Betts, even that was an indecisiveness of, oh, uh, you know, Bristar, Gratterall, we're not sure about his medicals. Actually, we're going to look at Jeter Downs and go this direction. And then in free agency with signing Trevor Story at the last minute. I still wonder what the plan was in 2022 if they had not signed Story as the, was really the last option after the lockout or waiting on Xander Bogarts and waiting a year too long, um, waiting until the last minute at the trade deadline, really every year, both with Deals that they made, deals that they didn't make or probably missed out on because people moved on because he was being indecisive. And, you know, I thought it was interesting hearing, you know, what I know Jared Carabas had said the day after the firing that there was just a lot between different agents and other connections that that he had that really just weren't taking Bloom seriously anymore, that he was serious about making a trade offer or a strong offer to a free agent. He almost seemed like the person in your fantasy league that's kind of sending you over a lowball offer and you say, well, this person isn't serious about trading. And it's funny, I think back to when we talked to Matt McCarthy at the trade deadline, we talked about exactly this, like, are the other GMs and agents taking Bloom seriously when he makes a phone call about a trade that he is interested in that player and not just trying to win every deal by 5%, 10%? Because he made some good deals, but I don't think he ever had the conviction to go all in on a trade, and I don't know if he was ever going to have that conviction to do that going forward this season. Like, this isn't to say that he didn't make good moves. There's a lot. Of, I'm sure we'll talk about the good moves as well and how they're set up going forward, which is going to come back to him. But I don't think he was the person to take hold of this and make the turn next year. Um, and, you know, even going back to trades that he did make, like with Kyle Schwarber in 2021, the Red Sox were a game and a half ahead in the division when they made that trade. And they were able to get Schwarber because he was on the IL and it was to play first base out of position. And in the time that he was out on the IL, they were five games back in the division when he came back. They went three and eight in that time. And even then, I mean, they were lucky to get in the playoffs that year, even though that worked out and Schwarber was a big part of that. Um, 
you know, the Chris Sale news that we heard this past week that I'm sure we'll get into a little bit. Trades like Eric Hosmer and Luis Urias that were small ones and minor wins, but more just kind of like with San Diego being desperate to make a trade when the Juan Soto trade was falling through and they need someone. You know, sure, he won that Hosmer trade, but what did that really do for them? And it was just, um, you know, I don't think he was willing to go out there and make a trade that they might lose 10%, 20% in the long term, but help them in the short term. Yeah, I uh, I agree with that big time. Um... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. But I just want to, like, take a second to just kind of give us props for being as right about that as we were. Because I didn't hear anybody except for our podcast talking about the fact that no one was taking him seriously um, and it was just really sort of gratifying to have that leak because, I mean, everybody knows who who's on Red Sox Twitter, how the Bloom Wars have gone, you know, people just being either really for Bloom or really against Bloom. And, you know, we tried for a couple of years to really toe the line down the middle um, and, and give him his, his fair shot. But it felt like there was a real lack of, critical thinking when it came to assessing Bloom and his moves. And uh, guys, I think we nailed it. So um, good job. Good job, us. It's okay but, to take a victory lap now and then, Jake. Yeah. And you know what? I'm, I'm going to take one here. Um, but, I, you know, the, the, the word that I was thinking about with Bloom's tenure um, and the biggest reason I think for his firing is maybe – just a slightly different way of saying the same thing that you did, Bob, but uh, it was passivity. You know, he was just so passive. Um, And you mentioned some of the moves that he did make. They always felt like they were just nothing burgers. You know, they were like, okay, you need a reliever. Oh, I'll go get Hansel Robles. Oh, you need a first baseman. I'll go get Eric Hosmer. Like, it was just like, you know, you need a starting pitcher. Oh, I'll get Corey Kluber or I'll get Garrett Garrett Richards, you know, everything that he did, um, it was just a half measure. It was like going to the casino and wanting to get rich playing penny slots instead of like, you know, actually, you know, getting good at poker and going up and playing, you know, 510 or something like that. Like you're not going to, you're not going to make money unless you, you put something in. And he just, um, he wasn't willing to do that. We saw the passivity in the off season. That was the thing that really 
was just the worst because every offseason we'd look at this roster and we'd be like, oh, wow, look at that gaping hole in right field. I wonder if they're going to address that. Oh, look at this. They have no shortstop. They really should address that. Or, hey, they don't have an ace. They should address that. And then they would just constantly not address these things. No lack, no urgency whatsoever. I just remember at the end of that 2021 season feeling like, okay, here's the time. We got to build on this. We just made the ALCS. Let's go all in in the offseason. And then we got 2022 and 2023 where nothing happened and no moves were made. And so something that I wanted to bring up too was um, even times where he made good moves, he would essentially basically flip-flop on it almost immediately. It's like he did address right field at one point. He brought in Hunter Renfro who was an impact player, uh, played tremendous defense, had great offense, and then he immediately gave up on that move and brought in the corpse of Jackie Bradley Jr. instead. And that was a disaster. To buy a couple so prospects, right? Yeah. Two prospects who, by the way, are basically nothing for this team at right. this point. You know, like that's... Even when he did something that made sense he would then also immediately flip-flop on that and well, then isn't another example the, in i'm sorry go ahead you had another one yeah i was i can't remember who it was that reported it um now um i think it might have been uh chris Cotillo's article um that basically ever since signing uh yoshida and uh story he's been like agonizing over those moves that he spent that money and like was wondering if that was the right thing to do which again was addressing right field and middle infield which needed to happen so scared money don't make money keaton yeah it's like every single move even when he does the right thing because i gave him all the props in the world for yoshida i mean there was like all of the initial backlash um around the i guess the air quotes baseball world of people saying that it was a massive overpay and what a terrible deal that was. But international signing, like the blind bidding is really weird and it's really easy to overpay. And I don't really blame teams when they do. And especially if it's a, we think this guy fits, it's a position that we need. It's a bat that we need. So we're going to go get our guy and they overpay to get their guy. I totally understand that. That was what he did. And I gave him a ton of props for that. And then just to hear that, like after he did that, which addressed I mean, not, I mean, they had the entire team had several holes, but that was a big one that we talked about a lot. And then he immediately regretted it. It was like, great, <laughs> fantastic. So even when we think he does the right thing, he internally with himself is like, uh, I don't think I did. Stuff to even just have confidence in yourself at that point. Like, how I just, I mean, it kind of plays into the fact that there, there wasn't a whole lot done, but it feels like, Someone needed to save him from himself at that point. If he, he's even the deals that he is making, he's second guessing at that point. You can't, there's not a single deal that you can make. The other one that came to mind with what you're saying, Keaton is the Christian Vasquez trade, because that yeah. turned out to be a good trade and two months of Christian Vasquez for William Abreu and Anmanuel Manuel Valdez. Of course, you're going to sign up for that, especially with how we've seen this year unfold. But then they didn't totally sell after that. You've traded away your starting catcher. Your the team is kind of 
going into the shitter at that point. And then they don't get under the luxury tax. And they go and trade for Tommy Pham, you know, and I think they traded for Reese McGuire to replace Vasquez. Is They were bringing in money, and then they didn't make the deals for, like, a J.D. Martinez or a Nivaldi to get under the tax, which screwed up 2023 and just ends up kind of leaving you with a sour taste in your mouth about, like, all right, if you had the conviction to trade Vasquez, which was a a strong move and ended up being a good trade and was should have been the first domino for what they were doing at that trade deadline and then not get under the tax and end up getting beginning of a fifth round pick for all of your free agents that left rather than uh, between the second and the third round pick for Bogarts yeah. and Evaldi. Um, and, and that one doesn't even feel like that great of a trade because of kind of what happened after that. He never really committed to a path for the team, which was something that right. basically like every offseason or trade deadline I brought up on this podcast was what are they doing? What direction are they going? Are they trying to focus more on a rebuild? Are they trying to win now? Or are they trying to do both? Because all of the moves that he made – didn't fit any one of those paths. They were all the half-ass of each of them. They never actually committed to a plan. The only thing that they, I guess, technically did was they worked at building up the farm. And Jake, you had a ton of really great points about the farm um, in your your article after Bloom was fired. Um, that a lot of it also had to do with the position that the team was in and finishing last in the division and poorly. Uh, just within the league standings that allowed them to have high draft picks, which was also part of basically just a, a side effect of not actually committing to a, a plan for the team. So, and they were Bloom and um, the front office were coming out and constantly telling us the winning winning is a priority and that's what what we need to focus on. But they never actually made moves to do that. And then going into last off season. Um, I can't remember if it was Bloom uh, or uh, Sam Kennedy or if it was both uh, were really vocal about how much they were going to spend money because this was a make-or-break offseason for the team. And they didn't do that. Well, they, they re-signed Devers and signed Yoshida, but they didn't actually address any major flaws of the team. And we saw that by them not having any middle infielders until... August and that killed them and then the starting pitching depth also they didn't actually address that they brought in the corpse of Corey Kluber and they rolled out a bunch of other flawed starters that eventually ran out of gas which we all knew that they would as they were heading into pitching the most innings that they had in years so it was all predictable and obvious and the exact results that we expected to see were is exactly what happened. And somebody yeah. who's in a position to make decisions for the team has got to be able to see that if we're here sitting on the couch seeing it. Yeah, that's the thing that um, I think was the biggest bummer about the Bloom tenure is when he did make trades that worked out, the trades that worked out were incredibly small. Uh, and the free agent signings that he worked out that worked out for him were incredibly small. Like... If you look at his biggest successes, I think 
most people think of the Brandon Workman and Heath Embry to the Phillies for Nick Pavetta and Connor Siebold. Obviously, you got nothing out of Siebold, but Pavetta has been like a semi-productive pitcher for you, and you still have him under control for one year. But like, hey, Pavetta is not really an anchor type guy. Like, that's a small move in 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 the the whole scheme of things. We think about trading uh, for Adam Ottavino. Like, that worked out pretty well because all they gave up was cash. Aldo Ramirez, like you mentioned, for Kyle Schwarber, that was a pretty good deal. But as Bob mentioned, like, it didn't really help the club immediately, and they scraped into the playoffs, and then he was decent in, in the postseason. A lot of these moves that he made, Jake Diekman for Reese McGuire, like, Reese McGuire's a fine player. I think it's a question mark whether or not he'll be on this team next year. But it's the big guys that he traded that didn't work out well. You trade Mookie Betts and you get an underwhelming return. You trade Andrew Benintendi. I think the Josh Winkowski return is fine. Um, but you know maybe that's a little bit of a wash there. The Hunter Renfro one worked out terribly. Um, I think the, the one that Bob mentioned, the Christian Vasquez one, um, as polarizing as it was, that one has a chance to work out the best, but like you can't tell me that Willier Abreu is going to be all of a sudden a core piece on this team moving forward. He just never did anything of of substance, really. I mean, you think about the two biggest signings he made were Trevor Story. That one looks horrible. Um, maybe it'll get better. And the Yoshi one, it's fine. It's not great. It's not bad. It's totally fine at this point. Um, it was just all these little moves. And I, I absolutely agree with um, what you brought up, Keaton, about the, the prospects. I mean, there's just limited credit that I can give to Bloom about that. But, Bob, I'll let you talk about the prospects thing. Like, why is that so complicated, um, you know, for to give Bloom... Lots of credit for rebuilding the farm system. Because I feel like it is complicated. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think that the point that so many people have made, and I don't think it's the right path to go down, is that, you know, he was given this directive by ownership that you have to trade your best player and you have to rebuild the farm system and, you know, draft well and you can't go over the luxury tax and that there were all of these constraints but he didn't work well within what he was constrained. Like he didn't have all those constraints at the same time. There was a year that he was able to go over the luxury tax. And if he had reset it in 2022, then he would have been able to go over it in 2023. You would think, um, to your question about the draft picks, they had a high pick that you really couldn't possibly, in my opinion, screw up in 2021 in Marcel Meyer because they had pick number four after, I mean, what happened the year before? They lost Chris Sale and Eduardo Rodriguez in the pandemic-shortened season and then had... David Price, Mookie was Betts, that? out. Price opted out. They had, that they had Ryan the Weber out. on the team. Like, yeah. Come on. That's that's and enough that, right the there. electric Ron Renneke managing the squad. <laughs> Sleepy Ron. <laughs> <laughs> so of course there were no one in the in the crowd at any of the games so they ended up with the fourth pick in a 60 game season that was an easy season for them to punt at that point 
right? I mean, and if you remember, that was in August and September, and the basketball and hockey playoffs were going on after no one had any sports for four months. In the bubble? In the bubble, and then football started. So no one was watching anyways, and no one was going to blame him for tanking that year. And no one did. No one on this podcast did. And no one did the year after, and it continued to feel like... Um, and I mean, even the, with York and Jordan the year before, and then you go into 22 with Romero and Roman Anthony, which got to say it's 79th pick Roman Anthony is, is going to end up being one of the best moves that he made. Um, and then this year, same kind of thing, right? They ended up with a higher pick because the team didn't do well last year. They ended up with the 14th pick and they got Kyle Teal, um, who no one thought would be available at 14. Right, so that's twice that people didn't think those players were going to be available at the spots that they did, that he kind of fell into that. So he still made the picks, his group. It's not just him, of course, with the draft. He's part of a group that's making those decisions. Uh, I feel that they should have had two more sandwich picks this past year after the second round. Those ended up being after the fourth round. Christian Campbell and Justin Reamer were the picks after that. Okay, so... It's just going to be complicated, and I think that for years in that, in how we did with all of the prior GMs, right? Oh, this was a so-and-so guy. This was a this person guy. Just because some of these guys are going to work out that there's going to be a core of three or four of the players that are in the top 15 of their prospects right now going forward, and that was a bloom guy, does not mean long-term that this was a successful four years that he had there. You have to weigh everything together his this was not a four-year rebuild if this was a four-year rebuild it would have looked like what houston did it would have looked like what baltimore did recently i think that they were still trying to sneak into the tournament and see what happens all those years which they did in 2021 and if they were rebuilding they wouldn't have signed these veterans that they've done for the last three years now it it didn't feel like a rebuild um, so I think he did well in that area. I mean, you, I do think you have to give him credit, but a couple of those moves fell in his lap. Yeah. I mean, the only ones I can really give him credit for, for the, uh, the draft picks are, you know, Miguel Blaze is an international signing. He was obviously a big bonus guy, but like still getting that done. And I don't, I don't think he has a whole lot to do with the international market. Um, I think he probably okayed it, but I'm not sure he had a lot to do with that. And Roman Anthony, as you mentioned, I mean, that was a big one. But if you look at the current core of, of guys on this major league team who are young players, it's Casas, it's Duran, it's Rafaela, it's Hauk, it's Bayo. None of these guys are, are Bloom guys. Like, sure, they came through the system and he helped them develop and stuff like that. And I think there is a lot of truth to the behind-the-scenes infrastructure and the beefing up of the coaching staffs and stuff like that, but, like... You could add Whitlock in, too, right? Yeah, you gotta add Whitlock in. He wasn't a pick. I mean, he was a Rule 5 guy, so I guess I was just thinking about that a little bit differently, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, you gotta give him credit for Whitlock. Um, But overall, like, I just look at the body of work, and I just come away so unimpressed, and I, I have so much trouble seeing what people were obsessing about with Bloom. Like, do you have any idea, uh, Keaton, like why there were so many stands out there for 
for high growth. Why you're getting harassed so often by people. Yeah, it's just, it was just really weird, uh, this sort of dementia that was suffered by so many folks about you know, Heimbloom's role in you know, building this team that was below average three out of four years. I mean, below average is a nice way to put it. Last place is more accurate. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I guess to overall answer your question is no, I, I don't. But I think the you can see the allure, though. I mean, he's a young, smart, analytical baseball mind. Um, this is his first really uh, high-profile job with a big market team. So it's like it's really easy to latch on to that and just be, like, excited by that and, like, you know, enamored by the potential. But you also got to be realistic. And um, I just don't feel like you can be excited about a guy and be a fan of a guy and then also recognize that they have flaws. You don't just have to blindly follow everything that they do and try and make excuses for things. I think um, whatever mandates the front office did or didn't have, which I, I mean, I definitely believe that the Mookie one, which is kind of ridiculous, but whoever they brought in was going to end up trading Mookie. So I don't really blame him for that. Blame the front office for that. But not being able to really like commit to a direction and like if they had just come out and been like, Hey, we're going to have some tough years cause we're going to focus on the building up the farm. I'd have been fine with that and just kind of accepted what, whatever results that they were going to have. But they kept saying that we want to win games and be competitive and win world series while they finish in last place. And it's like, okay, your, your actions are different than your words. And that's that's what's throwing me off here, and that's what's making me lose confidence and faith, and and really start to question things. If the actions and the words aligned, I think there have been a lot less people uh, viciously pissed off with how things were going. Um, but I mean, I can see face value why people would be super into bloom and i mean i feel like we were there in the beginning and we really kind of like we had excuses for 2020 um had excuses for 2021 and really kind of pegged like 2022 is the start of when we would start judging bloom's tenure with the red Sox and what they were going to do and they didn't do anything and we were like okay we need to see a direction with the team here soon and then it just kept not happening and i feel like you mentioned at the top, I feel like as far as the just the general bloom noise, we were incredibly patient and incredibly neutral for a very long time. Probably the longest time. Um, but we How long were we supposed to wait? So patient. And I don't like know. A, a year ago, don't, don't you feel like most everybody was saying, all right, you know, he gets a pass for 2020. There's been one good year and there's been two bad years, and this is the year that you know, there'll be a lot more clarity at the end of this. If this goes well, then he should stick around. If there are three bad years and one good year, then they'll probably move on. And then it was a bad year. And then people want more time. I mean, they were a game out in the loss column on the night of the trade deadline this year. And they had the best record in baseball, at least in the American League, for the five or six weeks leading up to the trade deadline. 
Well, that's the thing. That was the like, frustrating moving of it, the goalposts. It could have gone that direction. <laughs> well, yeah. that was what happened um, in 2022 also, right? Didn't they had that absurd June where they won like 24 games. Yeah, but then Something they sucked like in that. July and everybody got hurt. And I feel like it was way more clear a year ago that they should sell. I don't think that was clear this year. I agree. But the the thing that you were talking about, though, Bob, that I want to just hit on here is that, like, so many Bloom fans said coming into this past off season, like, this is the one where we need to spend. This is the one where, you know, decisions need to be made. And then all I was hearing was, okay, now he's got everything set up. Now it's time for him to have the opportunity to go out and spend this upcoming off season. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, why are we moving this goalpost again for another year? And why are you people who have seen how he's operated for the last four years thinking that all of a sudden Bloom's going to go out and like go get his guy? In this offseason. He just doesn't have that in him. There's no get your guy DNA. And I have a rant that I need to go on here a little bit. I think, Keaton, you you talked about it. Bloom is a likable guy. He is a nice guy. By all accounts, Like he is a hardworking, nice guy who makes time for people, treats people the right way, like all that stuff. That's great. But when it comes to the job of being a chief baseball officer of one of the most storied franchises in all of sports. He sucked at that job. He was unequivocally bad at that job. And for people to say, and I heard this a lot, like because he's a nice guy and all that good stuff, like that we can't want him to lose his job because like this dude's going to be out of a job. It's like, no, this is a public facing job. This is like, Anything else that's public facing. It, it's not like Bloom is going to be out there waiting in a soup line with his family. He's a millionaire. That's I, I, I found it just so patronizing when people were like, oh, he's a nice guy. How can you want him to lose his job? And it's like, this is the fucking Red Sox, man. Like, this is this is a public trust. We all put so much into it. We pay for tickets. We watch these games. We write about this. We podcast about this. Like... We do all this stuff about this. Don't tell me I can't want a guy who's driving a franchise into the ground not to lose his job. Nicest guy in the world. Who gives a shit? But you know what? He doesn't deserve to be the GM of the Boston Red Sox. And you know what? He's fine. He's probably going to go on a vacation to the friggin' Bahamas or whatever and chill out with the family and then go get another front office job somewhere else. He's fine. Don't tell me, like, this guy's going to be hard up for anything. I hate that. It's patronizing. No, thank you. That's good. Angry Jake. I don't get angry that much, but like nobody gave us credit for how long we were neutral on Bloom. And we were neutral for so long. You're not like the, you know, the kid in the Simpsons pointing and laughing at his whole family that they're out of a job. Like, of course, like the human element of it is like it sucks. Right. Yes, he was. Everybody said gave plenty of time for interviews. Um no one like feels good about that, but it's just he had plenty of time. He had plenty of time. He had enough time up until the trade deadline. And, I mean, good for him for time. sticking to his guns. I can't believe. I mean, we said the weeks leading up to it that his job was on the line at the trade deadline, and if he doesn't take that approach, that 
I mean, if it's me, I'm making trades for this team to save my job. So the fact that he stuck to his guns during that is, I don't, I'll give him credit for that. But I don't know, do you have the, that, that little self-awareness of his situation and think that that he was seeing this out for 10 years and it's going to be awesome when it happens? I don't if know. anything, I, that should just further solidify the fact that like, when he does have the money to spend, he doesn't have it in him to go do it. Yeah, and I kind of I go back to our preseason mega roundtable where we had everybody on the pod. And one of the questions that Dan asked us was, how much longer is Bloom going to be with the Red Sox? And I said five years because of how vocal Sam Kennedy in the front office was about how they needed to spend money this offseason and they were going to spend money this offseason. Everything they've been working for, they were going to spend money. And I was like, they've said it so often and so loudly now that if they don't, it's pretty embarrassing. So if it actually doesn't happen this offseason, then there's really like kind of no way they can show their faces here. And so I was like, He's going to spend, fill the holes, and get an extension for actually kind of doing some work for this team. And in reality, didn't happen. And I think I might have been the only one that went more than a year. Everybody else was like, no, it's one year. That's it. <laughs> and everyone else was right. Everybody before him got four years. Yep. Yeah. And they all won World Series. True. Boom did not. Boom did not. Well... Any final thoughts on Bloom before we move on to uh, who's going to be next? Nope, I think that's it. Yeah, no, I mean... Placid. I, I, would, I would ask, what is the last Boston sports or Red Sox or whatever that's just been this polarizing where, like, I felt like, especially this year, that I looked at something in, in a way that so many people were looking at it in the opposite direction. And the last thing I could think of like that was like Bledsoe and Brady during the 2001 season where like I was just so far on the opposite end of the spectrum and people were just so divided about this where there was like no in between. I can't remember something that was just like, I don't know. I, I didn't hear many people that were in the middle. And it's yeah. just like, that's what I'll remember as much of anything. It's just how polarizing and, you know, exhausting, almost political at times that reading the back and forth and people arguing about this was. It no one was even close. Needlessly tribal. Needlessly tribal. I agree. There was just like nobody looking at it critically and nobody assessing it just for the moves. Um, I agree. That's a great question, Bob. I wish I had like had more time to think about that. Um I, mean, I can't come up with one right now. Dombrowski. Oh, not even close. I mean, it's were people fired close. up about that? Yeah, I, I think mean, Belichick is closer to Bloom level. Like, there's I don't think so. There, I mean, to be there nude. were people that Recently. were like Dombrowski had to go because he ran the team financially into the ground, and there was nothing left for them to do. And then there's people that were like. Why did you get rid of the guy that actually spent money and tried to win games? And I don't think there was a whole lot of people in the middle there. That seemed pretty split. 
I don't Flex, know if there's fly forever. I don't know if there's been anything in my lifetime like the Bloom thing. Um, in terms of somebody who's not a player, who's this polarizing a person in Boston sports. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, part of it might just be that we're in it day to day and talking about it so much, but I don't know. I couldn't come up with anything. Yeah. 20 years. Well, let's move on to what kind of traits we're looking for in our next general manager. So um, let's start with you, Keaton. What kind of uh, traits are you looking for in your next GM? Just, I mean, it seems simple, but like a a guy that has a plan and then just tries to execute it. It sounds refreshing. Yeah. That's crazy talk. How about you, Bob? I think some familiarity uh, with the organization, and I don't know in what aspect that is. I, I'm not ready for it to be Alex Cora. I would like to continue to see him in the dugout. I know that name gets thrown around. Um, but whether it's a past you know, person that was in the organization or somebody who has kind of continued to be promoted in recent years and... Um, you know, I, I don't know that the best move is to bring in somebody who's not going to have the same connection with the prospects um, and understanding the organization and then go in and go polar opposite and trade all of them. So I, I, I just think kind of some familiarity is important. Um, I just don't know who that is. You know, I know this, we'll probably talk about potential names, but... That's an area that's a bit of a blind spot for me is kind of knowing who the good GMs are and whatnot with uh, Stearns being off the market. For me, I think I'm looking for a guy with um, measured aggression. You know, I want I want somebody who has conviction enough where, you know, if there's a, a free agent on the market that that GM really likes they'll go out of their comfort zone to make sure that that player is wearing a Boston Red Sox jersey. Um, Same thing with trades. I think that, you know, Dombrowski could be almost a little bit too transparent with that. You know, you'd ask him at the end of the year, like, what does this team need? He's like, oh, well, well, we need an ace. And then he goes out and pays David Price, like, you know, the highest contract for a pitcher ever to that point. You know, he, he was just so transparent with that type of stuff. And in trades, um, he was often criticized for throwing in, like, more than most people thought he needed to, even though I thought most of his trade decisions were pretty spot on. But, you know, measured aggression in that, like, I, I kind of want the guy to be 70% Dombrowski and, like, 30% Ben Charrington in terms of building up the farm. You know, I think that's like the the right titration for the Boston market. You need to have that aggression. And if you don't have that, you're kind of screwed here. I gotta look up what titration means. <laughs> you're getting like a full vocab lesson here. <laughs> um, Keaton, uh, we mentioned Cora a little bit. Any chance you think it will be Cora? I know that Bob's not thrilled about that. He wants him in the dugout. But, I mean, Cora, he has run Kagas 
uh, down in um, Puerto Rico. He has run the Puerto Rican national team in terms of being like general manager there. He has a little experience with it. Um, any chance you think he's kind of tired of being in the dugout? And maybe wants to give it a try. No, because uh, he said so. He said he's too young. He still, still got some uh, managing to do. Still would prefer that. I'm with Bob. I don't think he's ready, uh, especially when he says it himself. I think you'd have to bring in somebody with him that's relatively experienced to show him the ropes, basically kind of going um, – I mean, I know you kind of laid out a few different um, potential areas there where he's gotten some experience, but nothing in the major leagues. So I think there'd need to be somebody there with him to help. Um, so – I th- I'm not quite ready to go there yet, but um, in the future, we'll see. No doubt. Um, <clears throat> all right, so let's get to some of the candidates. Um, I'm going to start us off here with an outside of the organization candidate that I'm particularly interested in. And uh, this guy is from the Dodgers. Um you know, and the Dodgers are always sort of that model that we wanted Bloom to kind of model himself after. You know, we talked about Andrew Friedman and how successful he's been over with the Dodgers. And the Dodgers do an amazing job of both building up the farm system while aggressively paying players at the top of the market that they think are key fits for their team. And so there's a guy over there um, with some Massachusetts connections. He's from Fall River. Brandon Gomes, who uh, used to um, pitch in the majors as well. He pitched for the Tampa Bay Rays from 2011 to 2015. Uh, He's an executive vice president and general manager over with that club. I think if you could pry him from the Dodgers, that would probably be the best – guy who you get from outside of the organization he's only 37 right now um young guy as a former major leaguer i think he's competitive enough to have that sort of competitive streak within him when it comes to kind of getting deals done and being aggressive so i like the idea of him what do you guys think of gomes played high school baseball against brandon gomes did See, you really? That's the, uh, yeah. Some sort of Legion tournament, I remember. I've heard that name thrown around, and I couldn't believe that he was in that role because I hadn't heard his name in 20 years since he was in the opposing dugout. And uh, I think that would be cool to a local guy as well as um, just somebody who, as you said, is getting... Some tutelage with the Dodger organization, which is <laughs> what we've been hoping they would strive to be rather than the Rays, right? So that's uh, that mindset, I feel like, makes sense. All right. Either of you guys got any names? Yeah, I got two. Um, two that I think are rather popular. Um, Mike Hazen, which I feel like has um, constantly come up. And then um, it's actually already started to uh, rapidly pop up in rumors here. Um, oh God, somebody was reporting it now. I 
can't remember who that was either. Maybe Ian Brown, um, MLB.com, I think it was. Um, but the Red Sox had started to kind of poke around there. And then uh, Sam Fold, who uh, interviewed and lost to Bloom, uh, is now the GM, but kind of like the assistant to Dombrowski in Philly. Um, we were talking before we started, and uh, apart from just being a really smart baseball guy, I like Sam Fold because I got his autograph when he was on the Cape for the two at Kettleier. So big, big Sam Fold fan. I think between nice. the th- three that we're saying, though, between Fold and Gomes and Hazen, is they are all local guys who kind of understand the demands of the position, um, which I think is important. And I don't know if Ian Bloom was ever prepared for that. Um, you know, I, I think in general, just kind of a a local name is positive in that sense. I don't have a strong opposition to any of those names. I have one more name. If the Red Sox are going to stay within the organization and just elevate somebody, I think Eddie Romero makes a whole lot of sense. Um, he's been executive vice president and assistant general manager for this club for a while. He's been hugely involved on the international side of scouting. Um, you know, He's helped sign players like Devers and Moncada and... Um, Rafaela, Bayo, you know, pretty important players um, for the Red Sox, even in the case of Moncada, you know, a guy that you traded. Um, but, you know, he's been really successful there. He has a good relationship with Alex Cora. I just feel like that could be a pretty great elevated candidate from in, internally. And, you know, the the other thing to point out is like, as these GMs have come in, a lot of the GMs that have come in from outside haven't like rehauled the whole front office. And Eddie Romero's been here for a long time, so he kind of understands the culture and how everything works. So that's another name that I'm interested in. I'd say that like those are probably my top two. So apart from uh, reporting about the shuffling things around on Hazen. Uh, in the immediate aftermath, Ian Brown put together a list of potential candidates um, for MLB.com. And the first name on the list that he has there is James Click, guy who just won World Series with the Astros um, and then immediately parted ways with the franchise. What would you think of that? Right now, I guess he's serving in some strategy position with the Blue Jays, but um, assuming he would probably like to get back into a general manager role. Um, what would you think of him? Obviously not terribly familiar with the organization's outside move, but again, one of those smart, analytically driven fellas who has won a World Series. I'd hate that. Yeah? I would. I would, because I'm pretty sure that he got his start with the Rays, too. He did, yeah. Yeah, I just don't want any more raised guys <laughs> in here. Like, get the hell out of this club. No chance. I would hate it. <laughs> what about you, Bob? You feel the same? I'm reading the brown piece. Might the Red Sox think he is too similar to Bloom? That yeah, would be no, the only you. impediment for Click becoming a strong candidate for the job. <laughs> hey, funny. if he's um, Bloom but can actually make decisions... That seems right. like an upgrade. Well, and 
has a championship, right? Which is what we were just talking about. And it seemed like that Indeed. was more of a um, issue with ownership, right? They weren't seeing eye to eye, and everybody was pretty shocked when he was let go. Like, he was kind of lame duck as they were in the playoffs yeah. and in the World Series. And I'm not as uh, direction for the club and strongly the, opposed as Jake is to this. Go. There's got to be something wrong with the guy. If he wins the World Series and you're not, like, keeping him, you know? Yeah. That's a red flag to me. Um, I mean, it happened to Dombo. But he at least got the next season. Because they waited a couple right. months. This was like we didn't a get the whole later. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, that was immediate. But I mean, they had wild. the parade and then like sent them on his way. But that's that's what it <laughs> sounded like to me. Like it was a similar Dombrowski thing where like Dombrowski had a vision for the team and front office was like, no, we don't really want to spend money. Like we don't want to keep Mookie Betts. We want to trade him. And then so we're going to let you go. And it seemed like that was kind of the same thing here where Click had a philosophy of where he wanted to take the Astros and the ownership was like, nah, that in us. You're out. So who else is on that list? Uh, Mike Hazen. Okay. He's on that list. Uh, Emil Sade. Oh, from, yep. He's in Arizona under Hazen. Yep. Chris Antonetti. Where is he's with the uh, Indians? Yeah. Okay. He Jay. apparently could be looking for, um, yeah, oh, leaving the uh, Guardians. Leaving the Sorry, oh, yeah, Guardians. My, yeah, my Cleveland. bad. <laughs> uh, Eddie Romero. Okay, like that one. Sam Fold. Okay. John Daniels. Brandon Gomes. Daniels isn't he the guy who was with the uh, the Texas Rangers for a long time? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Jeez. You guys are a lot better at me than me at this shit. <laughs> uh, I, I like the front office stuff Which is part of the reason why I was so angry For the last two years That Rangers team That was um, cruel That they did not win a World Series In that whole situation Nelson Cruz at the wall and all of that you know, They made it to the yep. World Series back to back years In 2010-2011 It's so easy to Creeping forget in, Trying to get on the dog pile Letting a fly ball go over his head you want to you want to trigger a, a Rangers fan? You just say David Freeze. I know. <laughs> it's a, I think that's the best World Series game I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. that was incredible. It, they're still sensitive to it because <laughs> someone someone actually uh, tweeted out like, uh, "What's the first player that you think of when you see this logo?" And it was a Cardinals logo, and I, you know, tweeted David Freeze, <laughs> and I immediately triggered like. 20 uh, Texas Rangers fans. Uh, what a troll move. Ha- happen to I mean, follow me. What about me. Uh, Game 7 of uh, Cubs Cleveland? Yeah. Extra innings. The well, that game Sorry, was they were the Indians. In the ninth. You, you can say it, Keaton. <laughs> hmm? I said they were the Indians still then. Yeah, and then they had a rain delay uh, after midnight, at least on the East Coast. Yeah. Chapman gives up a game-time home run and then goes into a rain delay. Right, just to reset everybody. Like, hey, go back to the locker rooms and extra innings of Game 7 of the World Series and try to to get things back composed after that. Now Cubs fans are insufferable. So, yeah, a lot of good that did us. I don't don't know any of those. (laughs) Yeah, you do. Are they? (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I I know what you're saying. (laughs) All right, let's move on. Um, Step into the world of power, loyalty, 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. To our next question, our last question before we get to listener questions, because we have a lot of those today, so I want to give those the time they're due. But uh, who on the Red Sox currently do you want the new general manager to consider part of the new core and therefore not quite like untouchable guys, but guys where like you're kind of prying them from my cold dead hands if you want these players? Let's start with you, Keaton. Casas and Bayo. Mm-hmm. Rafael Devers. Okay, those three are on my list as well. Um... I mean, Yoshida, I still feel like there's something there with Story. I know he's had some weird injuries, but I still you feel You can't like sell him now. Well, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, you'd get nothing. Um, he's in the core Rafalia. whether you want him or not. Sorry. What was the last one? Rafalia. Rafaela? Yep, that's the one, Rafaela. <laughs> yeah, yep. Um, he made my list, too. Whitlock and Hauk, but as like that power reliever guy. I think I'm good with him as a starter now. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That's um, uh that's still the, a big piece though. That's more guys from this current core than I'm attached to. So I have yeah. Four guys from the current core, Devers, Casas, Bayo, Rafaela, um, who who made my list. And then I also have four prospects that I don't want to trade. Uh, Anthony, Blaise, Teal, and Cespedes. Um, Yoel and Cespedes, because I just want to see what he develops into. Um, so you're okay with Meyer and York? Going yeah, forward? I'm okay with trading Meyer and York if it's for the right piece I'm also okay with trading, you know, Duran if it's for the right piece. Um, I really kind of want to focus up the middle. You know, that's why I think I'm keeping Rafaela because of the glove. Even if he doesn't hit, like, I think his glove is that special. That's why I'm keeping Blaise because if he can develop into an up-the-middle guy, that's why I'm keeping Teal, Um and I think you got to keep those corners in Devers and in in Casas and young pitching being the way that it is right yeah. now. Like you got to keep Bayo. So those are those are my guys. Um, Bob, what are you thinking for your your core? 
Yeah, Mondesi. You keep him Mondesi? You want to oh, that was my punchline. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Too predictable. Sorry, to it. Oh. <laughs> All right. I'll pivot there. Um, Cassis, Devers, Bayo, Whitlock are kind of my main four. Um, Yoshida and Story, who you referenced, are kind of just like I'm expecting them with their contracts and kind of on the earlier end of things. And I don't know if you, if you're selling story, it's going to be like a Benintendi type of trade and selling low at this point. I just don't, I feel like Yoshida story and Kenley Jansen and Chris Martin are all going to be part of the team next year, regardless, because there's your eighth and ninth inning guys. So is that your core going forward? No, but you know, I think they're all there next year. Um, for younger guys, see, I had more minor leaguers than you guys had. I admire, Anthony, either Blaise or Rafaela. Like, if they traded one of those, I'm okay with it if it brings back a huge return. Um, Perales for a pitcher. Kyle Teal to pair with Wong as a lefty-righty catcher. Uh, you know, Wong, I think, eventually kind of being more of the backup. I think Teal's going to be ready sooner than we thought. So in terms of who I'm okay with them trading, like I said, either Blaise or Rafaela, some of the middle infielders. You know, I didn't put Meyer on that list, but I guess that's an interesting conversation depending on what you can get back. But I got him as part of the core. I'm okay if they trade one of these outfielders that's been up this year or like Verdugo having a year left. Duran, can you sell high on him? Willier Abreu, can you sell high on him? There's a lot of names that are kind of ready or within a year of being ready, along with all the middle infielders. York and Romero and some of the other ones, but Bonacy. Um And then the only other one I'd keep is Bearclaw. <laughs> Had to go there. Yeah, because that's sorry I stole your Bonacy there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, am I'm, I keeping I'm too many prospects there though? I, I mean, think I feel you like are. That, I, I feel like there's so much more depth in that top twenty that. There's a lot of names to pull from there. Maybe I, I am. Maybe it's one too many. But, you know, they keep Meyer, Anthony, Teal, and one of those center fielders. And then Perales is just kind of the pitcher who I like the most out of that group. I, I mean, mean, I'm not talking about giving these guys away. Like, listen, right. like, I'm, I'm talking about, like, when you're in the talks to get somebody like Dave Dombrowski was when he went and got sale. Like, who do you choose to keep? You know, if if somebody calls up whoever's the next GM and they're like, okay, we want either Anthony or Meyer, like, I'm sending Meyer. If they want, you know, Blaise or, you know, York and Perales, I'm going to send York and Perales instead of Blaise. You know, that type of thing, like, who am I hanging on to unless, you know... Unless, like, Juan Soto becomes available or something like that, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, I have trouble seeing them trading Meyer, but I guess it depends on how connected the next person is, you know, to the organization now. And, um, yeah, I mean, you got a Dombrowski type that makes a sale deal, then Meyer's probably included. Yeah. You probably want Anthony. It's it's interesting to think about that uh you know these things are on the table now. 
yeah. or potentially on the table. But should we get to some listener questions? We shall. Let's do this. We've got plenty. All right. We have from Summer. Sumner. Like the tunnel. Love the show, guys. There's a lot to talk about with Bloom's strategy or lack thereof, but it seems clear to me what his goal is. With the expansion of the wild card, it seems his overall philosophy is to be slightly better than mediocre in the hopes they will sneak into the playoffs and make a run. Henry and Bloom can spin every season as a success if they finish above 500. You guys have mentioned this before, but the wild card expansion was a disaster for the, the Red Sox because it justifies Bloom continuing the track he is on. I think that question is just not even a question. It's just a dead-on statement, which is true. Um, I think that is exactly right. Do, do any of us disagree with that? I don't, and it's kind of surprising given the basically the position that the Red Sox were in the last two seasons of being just barely there, that they did nothing to solidify that position of being just barely there. But there was it didn't feel like there was any incentive to do so. Yeah, I mean, this is why I hate the expansion of the wild card. Um, yep. I think it's terrible for baseball um, because it just incentivizes this type of behavior, and we don't see as many... Teams like the 2018 Red Sox or the, you know, the Dodgers from a couple of years ago or those finally, super teams are hard. I should say I was finally on board with the one game wild card. Probably I love the, the, I love the game, one game. It just, yeah, it just it took me longer with playing 162 games and having that fourth spot being a playoff team for so long and just being like, OK, you, you've grinded out this full marathon season to have the one game. I, I had that stance for a long time, and then as I started watching more and more games, and some of the most memorable playoff games I watched were those one-game playoffs, and having that game 163 that, you know, is was always such an exciting aspect, which they also got rid of, which was crazy, right? When they, when they brought in the three-game series that they have now, there is no such thing as a 163. If you tie for the division or for a spot or anything like that, it just goes off of tiebreakers now, which is stupid. Yeah. But I was, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that Sumner said and what you guys said. It's important to call out that that was before Bloom got fired that that question came in, but it still yes. uh, applies. All right, our next one is from Patty O.D. on the 10th of September. Um, and he says, I recently saw that Mayer or Meyer, I should say, York and Chase Midroth were all voted best defenders at their position by league managers. I've not heard uh, much good about York's defense, and I thought Meyer was graded as average. Are these guys actually good defenders? It'd be great to have a team that could actually catch and throw the ball competently. And then he goes on to say, the Red Sox have not been good about developing starting pitching for over a decade. We just say this is bad scouting, poor development coaching, bad luck, something else. Do you see any viable MLB starters in 2024 or 2025 coming up from the minor league system? So let's address the first one. Um, Meyer, York, and Midroth in terms of defenders. Um, Bob, what have you heard about the defense for these three guys? Uh, it's a... I I think it's a really good question and the Meyer specifically with what Chris Clegg was saying last week was 
that he's one of the better defensive players that he's seen come through on in, in any of these organizations and that, that there are no questions about the club, right? That the questions are now with the the power that we thought might have been a little bit better and just him generally on the offensive side of things. It seemed like he had no questions about him defensively and that's specifically at shortstop too. So the other ones I agree because you see a lot of like fringe average range, fringe average arm strength um, that were attached to Midroth and York and really that we hadn't, you know, Midroth kind of made, especially in the first half of the season, a leap being a fourth round pick um, and he kind of shot up pretty quickly going from Greenville to Portland. Don't have his Portland numbers in front of me, but no, I agree. I think that's a good point. I think they both have outperformed what their scouting reports said defensively. Yeah, Midroth hit 338 at Greenville. He's at 255 at Portland, but he's got seven homers and 43 RBI um, in 91 games. So I think he's been kind of overall one of the pleasant surprises in the, the system. Yeah, I mean, I think Midroth's defense is definitely above average, um, and I am more bullish on Myers' defense as well. Um, I think Nick York is the guy who I'm still a little bit unsure about. Um, I don't think he's going to be very rangy at second base. Like, I think he could possibly play it, and I think if the bat carries him, it's fine. But I'm not convinced that he is going to be any sort of an impact defender. I think at best case, you're talking about a guy who's like, okay there. Um, In terms of the starting pitching, though, this was a pretty interesting one because this is one of those things where Bloom really did make a lot of headway. Um, Since since the Bloom tenure, he's helped bring a lot of guys along um, in terms of starting pitchers, getting better outcomes, even guys who had already been in the system like Brian Bayo and... Um, I guess using a little bit more of an analytical approach um, to pitching development and kind of coaching individual pitch development and shape. Um, And so I think the one guy who's obvious here is Luis Perales. And uh, I believe he just had a pretty good start for Greenville in the playoffs. Does anybody have any data on that? Yeah, he gave up one hit in game one of the championship series there. So, um, yeah, Monegro pitched game two of the series before, and he gave up two runs in five innings. And then I think Perales was great in the first game of the final series. Those would be the two guys who I would name for, you know, up-and-coming guys. I think probably you're looking at a 2025-2026 for at least Perales would probably be 2025. Monegro would probably be 2026. For 2024, can either of you guys think of any names that might Drohan? be... Drohan? Do you think Shane can make that leap to be like a fifth starter? Seems like it's... Uh, yeah. It's been bad lately. Can. Yeah, he's been better. He's been better. So I think, yeah, you could look at Drohan as possibly a back-end guy, maybe an up-and-down arm. Um, Because Mata's going to be a reliever, even though he's back throwing hard again. We can't pitch to him being a starter again. Yeah. But 
I think the overall arrow we'd all agree for pitching development in this organization is pointing up and you know that's one thing you have to give Bloom a lot of credit for is how he built out the coaching and modernized the pitching development here so I think it can only go up from here All right, our next question comes from TJ McPhee, and this was from two days ago on the 16th. He says, love the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, Yamamoto sure looks like someone worth pursuing. I do not hesitate when thinking about, uh, but I do hesitate when thinking about his small frame, 5'10", 169 pounds, and modest strikeout rate, 9.1 per nine, will really translate to an ace in the United States. What are your thoughts? Um, Keaton, what do you think about Yamamoto? He sure looked incredibly dominant just through a no-no in Japan. Um, you know, do you think he has the stuff? We've seen Senga come over and be great. Darvish has been great. I mean, there's a lot of guys who have had success, but conversely, there there are a few guys who have come over and struggled. Yeah. Um, at the same time, there was also a guy who was... 5'11", 170, dominated for a solid five-year stretch. Hideki Arabu? Multiple no-hitters, multiple Cy Youngs. Mr. Tim Lincecum. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, It's not a bad comp. Yeah. Also didn't blow anybody away with the strikeout rates. Was typically kind of like 8, 9 per 9 there. So it really just comes down to the stuff. And honestly, I actually feel like Lincecum probably walked more than Yamamoto does. Um, yeah, I mean, it's really just all going to come down to stuff. I think it's, I mean, he's he's a good enough talent that that should translate to him being a front-end starter. I mean, from the, the limited video that I've seen of Yamamoto, and, you know, I've seen a few videos uh, of him, the stuff looks really, really good. Uh, to yeah. me, and and I do think it will play. I think to expect Yamamoto to come over and be like Garrett Cole, like okay, maybe not. Um, but I think a really good number two um, is pretty realistic. So yeah. um, I don't know. I think he's definitely my number one pitching target this off season, for sure. Yeah, I think he's thrown two no-hitters this year. And, I mean, it's just so hard to know, right? Because you're only going to see the things on uh, the different accounts when when things are going well. But, I mean, I don't know. It's just if he's pitched to contact and has good control, which his walk rates over there have, and can get guys out, I really don't care how it is. Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you guys. I, I would be thrilled to see him. Uh, in a Red Sox uniform. For what it's worth, too, I have done some research into uh, Japanese players in general um, because I was thinking about writing an article about this, so I researched pretty much every Japanese player who had ever played in the MLB, and what I found when doing my research was that uh, Japanese pitchers in general have been far more successful uh, than Japanese hitters. So typically when you're getting a Japanese pitcher who is at the top of their game like Yamamoto is, it's a pretty safe bet. So the track record is definitely there and definitely supports uh, that transition much more than it does you know, the hitting side of things. Guys like Ichiro and Otani 
are more the exception than the rule. All right. I like it. I didn't know you had done such profound research on this. I did. I uh, I have spent a lot of time on uh, StatHead, and uh, there's a thing where you can sort by country of origin, and then, yeah, you can go from there. So, nice. Yeah. I have a couple notebooks filled with all this crap. <laughs> Next question is from Patty OD, and this is our last question, and it's got many parts to it, so we'll attack each one on its own. He says, I was listening to one of my favorite songs yesterday. Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. And one of the lines is, I can't stand this indecision, married with lack of vision. My question, on the day that John Henry fired Bloom, do you think he was listening to the Sirius XM 80s station when this song came on and he knew what he had to do? Keaton, this seems like it's perfectly made for you. Do you think he, <laughs> this was uh, Tears for Fears is what did it? Um... It seems fitting, but I feel like because it's John Henry, no. It seems like they had to wake him from his coma just so they could get like <laughs> one line in that press release from him. So I don't even know if he realizes that he fired Bloom. <laughs> um, can we just talk about like what a good song Everybody Wants to Rule the World is, though? I was yes. listening to a Weezer cover of that song, and it was great. Um, yeah. You know. Anytime that uh, I can hear that song, it's fantastic. But he, he also asks us, uh, if not, what do you think was the final thing that sealed Bloom's fate? So I, I'm curious, Bob, do you, do you have a feeling as to what the nail in the coffin was? So first off, I think the 80s is the worst musical decade, but that this song we're referencing is the best song of that decade. So kudos to Patty for... Whoa, the entire Question. decade? The entire Bet, decade. Better and than I Africa by Toto? On the record of saying that previously, in fact. Oh, that's wow. a good call, too. <laughs> um, the final thing that sealed his fate. I, I meant to bring this up earlier, so I'm glad, because this just spurred something I was thinking. Was Do you think that the $1 tickets and the Yankees doubleheader with no one in the stadium had even an ounce to kind of push them to do this now? Or do you think that that was just coincidence? I think it last did. Last week. You think it did? I think it did. I think that was like the last embarrassment. Um, that right. coming so close after the Kyle Bearclaw game, I think that yeah. those two things pushed him over the edge. And that's what I was going to say. I think it's just been like a long list of embarrassments this year. And... And Dan and Brian did a great job outlining that. Brian was going through all of the... I mean, I forgot about the Dermody thing. And yeah, yeah. Um, just how many times that they've kind of been under a microscope negatively. Like that Claw game at home, being ahead, <laughs> not having anyone warming up. Um, and then that the other day. I just think it's been there's been too many embarrassments. And this ownership don't, doesn't like that. And they tend to overcompensate. Um and I don't know that this was overcompensating, but they have in the past and free agency the years after. So it'd be interesting to see if they do this year. I, I think that that was part of it. I mean, in terms of moves that he made, just the five hours we've talked about, the lack of moves at the trade deadline was the last one on paper. Yeah, yeah that's I mean, what it feels like to me, was the trade deadline. And especially as soon as, every, <clears throat> as soon, like, everything started immediately coming out, about all of the trades that he had in 
place and didn't pull the trigger on. Like apparently for two consecutive trade deadlines, he had deals in place to move Chris Sale and dump the entire salary. Um, didn't make it at the J.D. Martinez deal that would have gotten him under the luxury tax a year ago, didn't do it, and then had one for, for uh, a deal for Paxton um, to, to move him and, and get some prospects back in return and uh, decided not to, and that turned into a disaster. Um, but if the team isn't going anywhere, those are the guys that you got to move. It doesn't make any sense at all to retain those guys. And it just basically was like a, a repeat trade deadline of 2021 where you didn't make any moves to do anything to the team. And then you just kept moving backwards. And the team, I mean, it got to the point where the team themselves were vocal about it and how badly they wanted help at the major league level. And when you badly have they the wanted manager more than three and the pitchers players, in the rotation. Yeah. How dare you? And like, when How dare you want have, Paul Blackburn? <laughs> yeah. When you have the manager and the players themselves saying to the media, we need help. It'd be nice if we could get some. Basically, going around direct conversations with the general manager to try and put pressure on them to make a move, and they still don't. I mean, they've... Not only have you just lost the confidence to not like other teams aren't taking you seriously, but then your own team isn't taking you seriously either. And that's, you've completely lost at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, you, you nailed it there. And his second part of the question was, was the worst part of Bloom's tenure, the handling of the 2022 deadline. He chose neither to completely sell nor go all in thereby staying above the CBT meaning yeah. that A, the Red Sox owners would have to pay extra money for a garbage team, and B, we would be dinged on draft pick compensation uh, for free agents we lost, and I think that was when I lost faith in Bloom. Um, and that was what Bob had brought up, too. I mean, getting those fourth rounders, those sandwich picks between the fourth and fifth, rather than second rounders or you know sandwich picks between the second and third, that's a huge difference in terms of money. And I've been thinking a lot about which deadline was more egregious because 2022 and 2023 were also were both horrible. Um, but I do think that 2022 was the worst of the two deadlines just because of sort of the emotional damage that you did to the team by selling Vasquez, but then like not taking it that step further to get rid of J.D. Martinez uh, clearly when like that he wasn't going to be part of your future. Uh it just made no sense. That that was definitely more egregious. I think there was still at least you can make the argument to me that there was a reason why you keep James Paxton. I still think like if you're not going to buy, you need to sell James Paxton. But I at least could defend that. Whereas in 2022, I think that was an indefensible trade deadline. Yes. Yes to all. Well, I think that's it for the podcast. And so Patty O'D says he loves the pod. Thank you, Patty O'D. We love you. Um, what we, we do have one more question. Dalton Bell and Keaton. I think this one is uh, this, you know. Oh, only this is some, such a Keaton question. This is such a Keaton question. I mean, this is like the philosophy of baseball here. Dalton Bell, he asks us, why is the 
Why is it called the foul pole instead of the fair pole? Because in baseball, as in life, we're all pessimists and that going foul is a bad thing. And so we identify that giant rod as a negative. So, because we're just all pessimists in the world. Giant rod. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll leave it at giant rod. It also allows, um, what was it, Atlanta and Chick-fil-A to call it a foul pole for chicken. Which is oh, yeah. F-O-W-L, yep. Okay. Yeah. They gotta bring that flagpole back in Houston that was just like right in the middle of the field that you could run into and with the a hill? flagpole. The hill. Yeah. The hill the was hill the weirdest the, part of the beam. That. <laughs> yeah. That field was awesome. What have they done? Who was it? Was it Jim Edmonds that nearly killed himself making a catch on that? I don't Somebody know. nearly died. I, mean, I remember Sounds that, like that Edmonds, Edmonds over the, the shoulder catch was somewhere else. But, I mean, there are people that ran up that thing. And, I mean, to not have the flagpole be on the other side of the fence is complete insanity. (laughs) I think the hill added a little character, at least. No, the hill was an insane feature. Yeah, it was. I totally, I'm very happy the hill is gone. I know that, like, baseball parks are supposed to be weird and quirky. But, like, what are you doing throwing a hill in the middle of center field? That's crazy. That's just the the designer of the park was was on one that day and just someone wasn't it's there like to something check the, uh, the the Vex would do from the White Sox <laughs> playing in softball shorts. Right. Well, that's a it's a good way to end it, guys. I think um, now that you know Bloom is gone, we don't have to worry about saying Voldemort's name anymore, and. Uh, you, know, you can look forward to a lot more hope and positivity on this podcast because it's a new new era. Gentlemen, we went long, but it was fun. And uh, I appreciate you guys coming on, listening to us. And we hope that you guys will uh, follow us on Twitter. You can follow Keaton at The Spoken Keats. You can follow Bob at, at BobOzgood15. You can follow me at, at DevJake. And uh, please follow the show, rate, review. Uh, Tell your friends about us, and we'll be with you again next week.